they called him the Hammer. That was his nickname. He used to, you know, he used to put a lot of seats, people in the seats, apparently, because as soon as they dropped the puck, he'd just grab somebody and start feeding them, you know. And he was drunk on the ice a lot, is the stories I hear. You know, he'd put a 40 down before the game. They'd go out, drop the puck, and he'd just go toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody. And apparently he wasn't a very good fighter. He got beat a lot, but the crowd used to love it. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as this team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 38 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I'm your co-host, Johnny Cullen, alongside Dwayne Steinel, as always. And we are very pleased to... Announced that we are joined by Sean McIndoe, uh, staff writer at The Athletic, uh, well-known in the hockey circles, and uh, somebody we, we've been trying to get on for a while. Really appreciate you joining us, Sean. Yeah, right on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Sean, thank you again. I know me and you have kind of played like email tag back and forth and, you know, I, I can't express it enough how much I appreciate having you on. And, you know, I know we have you here for a short amount of time, but, you know, just to get right into it, um, you know, we obviously, uh, me and you kind of discussed before the show, um, you know, you know, some of the topics we'll be talking about, but one, one of the things I definitely want to get right into it with you is, um, your, uh, your article, um, that you just recently dropped here in the last few days with the athletic, um, the winners and losers of, uh, the off season. Um, you have the Sabres as, as one of your, one of your first winners and, um, I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, that's not really like, uh, you know, that's kind of the obvious, you know, with the Taylor Hall signing, but is there anything else, you know, with you proclaiming them the one of the top winners of the offseason, you know, what else goes into that for you? Well, I mean, the, uh, the piece you're referring to the grab bag, that's, that's mainly just an excuse for me to be a smart ass and, uh, and, and throw a couple of throw a couple of one-liners at certain teams. So I, I wouldn't read necessarily too much into that. Uh, but having said that, yeah, I mean, I think we all outside of Buffalo had sort of a similar reaction when you, you saw the Sabres go into the off season, initially the vote of confidence from ownership. And then suddenly they just, they, they blow the whole thing right up. Kevin Adams comes in. I'll be honest. Uh, like a lot of people, I, I was I was a bit skeptical of that. You know, Kevin Adams certainly seems like a bright guy. He is, you know, he's he's not he's not somebody who's just walking in off the golf course. He's he's been uh, he's been putting in some work in his after his playing career ended to to get to this position. But also, uh, you know, where he was coming over from, uh, you're sitting there going, okay, is this really the best possible candidate, or is this a case of? ownership bringing in somebody that they know and they're familiar with and and maybe they know they're not gonna have any problems with and and you see the cuts and uh, you know they they're losing scouts and and this and that and you're thinking they're okay uh, this is gonna be a mess this is you know it's it's heading right down the drain in buffalo and then there was credit kevin adams goes out there and pulls off a couple of of pretty nice moves i mean obviously the taylor hall signing caught a lot of us off guard um but but that's a that's a great job by Kevin Adams to be able to get that deal done and, and obviously to sell a guy who, who had his choice of a lot of different teams and uh, even on a short-term deal to get him to, uh, to come and join the program was, uh, was a good one. And I really like the Eric Stahl trade too. You know, that was another one that sort of raised a few eyebrows where you're going, okay, you know what, this, maybe this guy might know what he's doing. Maybe, uh, maybe we're a little hasty uh, here and you know what, it's, it's two moves on a team that needs a lot more than that. And, and there's st certainly still some areas uh, where, you know, I think the Sabres could use some, some help where it, it doesn't sound like it's coming in. Seems like they're going to go with the same goaltending. The blue line's really not any better. Uh, but 
for a guy who walked into what kind of felt like an impossible situation, a uh, couple of couple of solid line drives on his his first two swings. Uh, that's not a bad way to get started. No, absolutely not. I I also I think that with the acquisition of Taylor Hall, um, the the bringing in of Stall kind of went by the wayside. But yep. you look at you know some of the you know the Achilles heel the Sabers last year. There was there was quite a few of them. Um, that 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 elusive second center being one of them. Um, obviously Stall at the tail end of his career, but you know bringing him in, Kevin Adams played with him. You know, and I know that that cliche gets thrown around a lot that ex players, you know, but he knows what what he can do in the nitty gritty. So I think that 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 uh, that move was a, was a good one. Uh, obviously, like you mentioned, Hall coming in. Um, they mentioned um, in in that opening press conference that him and Eichel um, would obviously get the chance to play together. Uh, I know me and Dwayne were talking about it before the show about asking you, um, you have any front runners as to who would be uh, the best fit on that line with them? You know what? Not, not really. Uh, I think that's a case where, and you see this more and more in the, in the NHL these days. Like when I was growing up, we had lines. Your team had its, its big top line. It was usually the best guy at each position. Uh, and it was, it, it was threesomes and lately and, and lately, I mean, I'm talking now like the last decade or so, it feels like it's more settled into, you get these two guys, it's usually a center and a winger. And then the third winger can be anybody. You can cycle guys in and out. You can see who clicks. Maybe it's a guy who's, who's skill wise, isn't quite at the same level, but he, he brings something the other guys don't, you know, we, we see that. I'm a Leafs fan, so I see that in Toronto with a guy like Zach Hyman who gets uh, dropped in with with some of the bigger name guys. Um, I I certainly I like the idea of starting with Eichel and Hall together. I mean that's it is your shiny new toy. You want Jack to be happy, put them together. Let's see what they can do. I I've certainly seen cases where, uh, a, you know, top tier wingers and centers just don't click together, and and you know maybe it ends up being. Uh, maybe it's Taylor Hall and is he ends up playing with Eric Stahl and you go with the two line approach, who knows, but definitely start those two guys together. But from there, the other guys rotate them in and out, see who clicks, see who gets hot, um, see who those guys like playing with. Sometimes there's, there may be a guy where the, the production isn't quite there, but the players are saying, coach, I love this guy. Like keep, keep him on the line. Um, do whatever it takes to get those two happy. As long as they're clicking, uh, you know what? It can be a different guy every night. Uh, it's uh, those, those are the two guys who are going to be driving the bus. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, people in Buffalo, we all seem to think that the layup here it would be Sam Reinhart because he's always played for the most part on Jack's right side. And you haven't really seen much of Sam Reinhart away from Jack Eichel, even though a lot of the analytics say that Sam can drive his own line from the wing. Um, we've yet, we, we get very small sample sizes of Sam away from Jack. Uh, personally for me, um, because you know, and I, I agree with your point. You should be rotating guys in and out, but just because of like the year that Jeff Skinner had last season, and I know he'd be playing on his off wing, but I think for the, what you're paying the guy, you got to try and, you know, bank on everything you can get, everything you can out of him for that kind of money. And, you know, I, me personally, I would love to like, just to try and revisit that chemistry that Jack had with Skinner uh, two years ago. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a way you could do it too. Uh, you never know. Some guys are, if you want to get them going, you got to put them on the top line, put them with the best players. And then there's other guys where if you actually keep them away from the top line, because remember you're on the top line, that means you're facing the top pairings means you're getting the, uh, the attention if from the uh, very often the, either the other team's very best line or their best defensive line. And, and some guys do better in that kind of second tier role. And obviously when you're paying a guy 9 million a year or whatever it is, uh, it, there's an expectation that he's going to be a top line guy. And, and we didn't, we didn't get anything close to that last year, but uh, it, you know, you, you can wait and see again, it, it wouldn't shock me if we get a month into the season and we're back to Eichel and Skinner together and, and it's Hall and, and, and stall, or maybe some other combination down there. You, you sort of got to see what works um, and, uh, and, and, and be willing to, uh, to move things around a little bit. And then you also get into who gets the power play time. Cause these days, uh, when you're trying to get somebody, trying to juice somebody's numbers a little bit and get some confidence going, very often it's it's not the the 50 minutes of five on five that's going to do it. It's the it's the power play opportunities, get them out there uh, working together. But uh, you know, I think we're we're all excited to see it. You know, Taylor Hall having a big year 
is good for for everybody. Obviously the Sabers, but you know even the rest of us because either either that means he's lifting the Sabers to playoff contention, if not right into a spot. And the, this league is a lot more fun when when the Buffalo Sabers are good and they're, and are in the mix. Uh, or he's not, in which case, hey, guess what? We got another Taylor Hall trade watch to uh, uh, to play with during the season, and and that could be all sorts of fun too if he's uh, if he's having a big year. So uh, you know, we 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 got our fingers crossed that this works. Um, I, I was surprised to see that signing, but I like it. I like the idea of star players taking short-term deals and and sort of picking their spots a little bit more. You almost never see it in the NHL. There were obviously special circumstances this year with the flat cap, but you see it all the time in the NBA. That's that's what those guys do. They take short-term deals, and they and if then then if 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 I don't like it, I'll go somewhere else. Uh, Taylor Hall might accidentally start a trend here, and and it would be neat to see it work well for him. Uh, and, and, and maybe give it a bit of a boost that way. So we, um, touching on some of the less sexier signings from the Sabres, um, they've had a statistically horrendous penalty kill, um, last year. And, you know, with, with guys like Cody Eakin looking to maybe revive his career a little bit and, and a guy like Tobias Reeder, um, guys that have done well in, in spots, uh, throughout their career on the penalty kill, um, you know, the bottom six of the Sabres has, you know, left a lot, left a lot to be wanted, um, to put it one way. Um, mm-hmm. Are those two enough to, to make enough of a difference there? Or is it more of the addition by subtraction? You know, getting rid of certain guys like VC, uh, Evan Rodriguez, you know, the Johansson for stall trade. What do you what do you see out of this bottom six group? And can those two free agent signings make a difference here? I mean, every little bit makes a difference. Uh, penalty kill is tough. Penalty killing is, yeah, you got to have the right guys, but a lot of times it's it's also coaching and systems as well. And and the the old cliche that it's true, your best penalty killer is your goalie. And a lot of times when you look at a team that you say the penalty killing is not good, you look and it's it's because the goaltending is not great. And uh, so that's that's a piece of it too. I mean, look, it's it's tough to attract free agents when you're a team that hasn't made the playoffs in eight years or whatever it is, when you're uh, a team that fairly or unfairly has a reputation these days for being in a bit of disarray from the top down uh, you know, the, the guys you might want to target aren't necessarily uh, going to be picking up the phone for you. And, and, and maybe if they do, you, you got to go a little higher on the numbers than you might, you know, I know a lot of people looked at, at the Cody Eakin deal and thought, Oh geez, that, that might be a lot for a depth guy. Yeah, maybe it is, but, you got to get the guys. I mean, the, the, the best way to fill out your depth is always get a guy at the top of the lineup and bump everyone else one spot down. And that, that improves you absolutely everywhere. And that's the ideal problem is it's way, way, way easier said than done. There's, there's not a lot of those top level guys. Taylor Hall is one of them. You know, that does move some guys down the, down the lineup potentially where they can, uh, they can be a little bit more productive, in terms of the spot that they're in. Um, but yeah, I mean, every little bit helps, but at the same time, I don't think if, if, if the Sabres surprise us and they're in a playoff mix late in the season, I would be surprised if we're looking back and going, yeah, it was, it was Cody Aiken who did that. Uh, it's, it's going to be the big names, both the guys that they acquired and the guys they already have who, who need to step up a little bit. Awesome. You know, uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, Craig Kustin's had a, had a great piece on the athletic um, his agent survey. Um, and, you know, I thought there's a couple of real interesting tidbits in there as a coworker of yours. Um, you know, first of all, it, I thought it's always fascinating to get an inside look, especially with, with agents, um, guys, you don't hear from a ton. Um, and in that, you know, I really encourage it for all of our listeners. Um, you know, it was written on Friday, last Friday. So uh, give it a listen. One question I did have for you um, related to that article and asking what you've heard, um, the over under of, you know, 55 games, um, you know, where do you think we stand with, with that right now? Would you go over under and, uh, you know, what, what do you have a start date that you've heard floated around? Well, I mean, I, I'm no, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm not an insider. So that I've heard all the same things that you guys have heard and, and probably read. And, uh, uh, the, the guys like Craig and Pierre are, are far more plugged in than I'll ever be. But, uh, yeah, from everything that that it sounds like, we're still they still want to aim for early January. They still think that's doable. Uh, they've got a ton of stuff to figure out 
between now and then. Uh, the, the clock is ticking. I mean, you, you look at the NBA, the NBA is, has got their start time nailed down. They've got their schedule. They've, they've got it pretty much figured out. Um, NHL is not there yet. They're, they're trailing behind. And uh, I, I am not optimistic that they can, they can get that January one or first week of January start date. And as soon as that starts to slip, then it's, it's gotta be your total games coming down because we all assume that they can't go all that deep into the summer because of the summer Olympics and NBC's got commitments and you don't want to be uh, playing your playing your playoffs without any sort of TV coverage, especially if you're even doing it potentially in half empty arenas still by that point. So um, they're under the gun. I don't have a lot of confidence they can do it, but I will say I also didn't have a lot of confidence they could pull it off in the summer and they did. And that worked out better than, I mean, not just better than most of us expected, but I would argue even better than a lot of the best case scenarios that we were, that we were talking about. They, the, the NHL full credit to them, they knocked that out of the park. So very different situation. If you're not doing full-time bubbles, if you're, if you're trying to play in individual arenas, whole new set of challenges. Um, and I'm not optimistic. And, and I do think that is even, even if you can get started, I've asked the question on, on our podcast, hey, what do we do when the positive tests start? You know, you look at what happened, what's happening in the NFL these days where every week there's a new team or a couple of teams having positive tests pop up. What do you do? It's one thing in the NFL, you play one game a week. Somebody tests positive on Monday. Okay. You shut them down and maybe, you know, maybe they miss the game or maybe even they don't miss that. What do you do when you played two games in the last 48 hours and you got two more uh, over the next few days and you get a positive test? I, I think it's, the, the, the challenge is here. It's a whole new level of, of difficulty compared to what they went through in the summer, but they didn't knock it out of the park in the summer. So I'm, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to kind of wait and see what they could do. I'm not going to say they can't do it. Um, but I will say I'm, I'm pessimistic that they're going to be able to get a, a January 1st date. And, you know, some of these, the ideal numbers where they're thinking maybe we can get to 70 or something in the sixties. I would not at all be surprised if what we end up with is the same 48 games that we've, that we're used to from the lockout seasons. Um, and you do your best with that and try to get into the playoffs with 16 teams and hope for the best. Yeah. I, you know, one term I like to always use, uh, especially in terms of the Sabres is cautiously optimistic. Like, um, it, it, like you said, like you said, when there's positive tests, it's kind of like a training reaction, right? You know, you're not just worried about your, your own locker room, but who did you just play? Who could have your positive test came into contact with? And then that affects that locker room. So mm -hmm. you really don't know. And again, you're playing possibly two, three, maybe in some cases, if you're going to condense schedule four games, four games a week, uh, yep. depending on how long your schedule is going to be. So it, it's really, really, uh, you know, really a big question mark. And I, and I We I, saw it in baseball, right? Where yep. some of the outbreaks early in the season, you know, teams were 10 games behind and hockey's not baseball. You can't be playing double headers to make that up. So oh, you can't. You can't. Uh, Rosters aren't big enough. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what they're going to do when that happens. And I say when, because I, I don't think it's an if, unless they can talk the players into doing some sort of modified bubble system. I mean, the players have been pretty adamant. They don't want to do that, but if, if maybe, maybe that ends up being at least as a starting point, I, that, that might be the way to go. But uh, I'm, if, if it's not that you're, you're gonna, it, cause it's not even, it's not even players, you know, you talk about somebody going out and getting, uh, getting COVID, you know, we think about players sneaking off and going out partying and, you know, going out to clubs. It, it could be your kid could bring it home from school. It could be, you know, you go to your, go see your brother on his birthday and, uh, and somebody's got it. Like there's, there's so many different ways this could go bad. And yeah, like you said, it's one thing for an NFL team to have a positive test on Monday and you go, okay, we got one team plus the team they just played. We got two teams to deal with and we got a week to figure it out. Very different when there's potentially three, four, five teams in the mix just based on one team schedule and no real room to make it up. Yeah, the web of contact tracing and, you know, between hockey and the schedule, that matrix Figuring all that out will be ultra difficult. And, and like you guys alluded to, could be, you know, a nightmare scenario uh, for a sport like hockey. Um, I, I had one, one, one more quick question for me. Um, in your grab bag, which is a great piece, um, Dwayne brought this to my attention, but the, the, what's that? 
creepiest interview ever, man. So the Pavel Burry, for any of, any of the listeners that aren't following already, check it down in his latest, um, Sean's latest grab bag. But Pavel Burry, um, the NHL Cool Shots old programming. I, first of all, love the first little uh, bullet point that, A, the, the title of the video, 20 Questions with Pavel Burry, 1995, that this was shot in 2001 while he was with the Panthers. And it was nowhere near 20 questions, but just the, the back and forth flow on, um, you know, dating back to your, your down goes Brown website that I've been following, just your ability to, you know, get your quips in and your writing style. It, I've, I've always been a huge fan of, um, but can you kind of give us a quick background on, on what, what, you know, uncovering that beautiful, um, journalistic piece uh, interview with Burry was like yeah I mean I, I had a I had a reader send that in to me that's that's where I, I get a lot of these uh, these days and yeah this was during that very kind of brief blink and you'll miss it era where people were trying to make hockey cool and you had you know it was ESPN I don't think ESPN actually made the show but they they were the ones airing it and lots of cool quick cuts and rap metal music and then all this stuff to try to make hockey seem cool and then uh and, and then drop in the most boring athletes in the history of the world where even, even Pavel Bure, this, this poor, this poor lady who's interviewing him is, is kind of having to twist herself into knots to get him to say something interesting, but uh, it, it, it does get interesting and it gets awkward because there, there certainly seems to be uh, some heavy flurry going on uh, it, 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 in at least one direction and maybe in both. And uh, I, I don't know, this is uh, um, I, I guess, 2001 was a different era that 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 could kind of pass by and, and nobody really raised an eyebrow but uh, you watch it today and you're thinking uh, this, this feels a little weird yes it does uh, i like tennis the, the the tennis part was was great and, and your comment about the art of the follow-up question being dad had me in tears yeah. Yeah. Uh, that part yeah <laughs> like can you teach me something in russian and he teaches her how to say i love you like yeah very subtle Oh, um, just one last thing before we let you go here, uh, Sean. Um, another thing in that Craig Kustens uh, article was, uh, and it's, it's a topic that's thrown around here a lot in Buffalo, um, you know, because I think people just love to be miserable in Buffalo, you know, between both the Sabres, you know, and not, not so much more recently, the Bills uh, is um, amongst vo- like, you know, a, a voting tally, you know, the players most likely to be moved uh, this next season, both Eichel and Liney were at the top of that list. Do you see that something in, the, in honestly being in the real realm of possibility with a guy like Jack Eichel, because it's not like you see guys like Tetch traded very often, if ever. I mean, I can't remember the last time we had a guy like Jack Eichel, like a, a franchise center, you know, po- probably the most important mm-hmm position on your roster especially on a team in, in the position of the Sabres being traded I mean do you think do you really think that's something that's in the realm of possibility and if there's even a team out there that can afford to give up what it would take to bring in Jack Eichel I mean I, I think if Jack Eichel ever hit the market you would find teams would would find a way to afford him because like you say the, these players are super hard to come by uh there you could probably count on on one or maybe two hands how many guys fit that description in the entire league uh no I mean I I, I think you look at a guy like Patrick Line, he's on that list because we know that the Jets were shopping him because they had other holes and they, they were trying to think about whether there was an ability to improve the roster by moving from a position of strength. Um, first line center is not a position of strength for the Buffalo Sabres. So I can't imagine a scenario where they would ever be looking to move him or thinking that they could improve based on a, a Jack Eichel trade. The implication here, having him be at the top of this list, I, I think is is pretty clearly that at some point he's going to grow frustrated with the losing. He's going to want to play in the playoffs. He's going to um, get tired of, of the drama from uh, from the top of the organization down, and, and he's going to say, I want you to move me. And back in the 80s and 90s, we used to see that all the time. We just finished talking about Pavel Bure in Florida. That's how he wound up there. He walked away and said, I, I'm not coming back and playing for Vancouver. you got to trade me. And, and that used to happen uh, fairly often. It doesn't happen anymore. I can't remember the last time we saw something like that. I mean, uh, Jacob Truba, all due respect to him, is is not in the Jack Eichel tier of of guys who uh, um, can sort of throw their hands up and, and walk away. And and you know, we we get up here in Canada, we do the same talk about Connor McDavid, and you know, when's he going to eventually get frustrated in Edmonton and and want out? And the answer is probably never. Uh, but 
it's fun to talk about. It's fun to speculate. As long as you're not a Sabres fan, it's fun. Um, and you, you know, you, you get to, to throw the big names around. I wouldn't read too much more into that. If, if, you know, if, if you're a Sabres fan and you're sitting there going, gee, should I be worried? Because, uh, you know, this is what NHL agents are saying. I mean, we're talking four agents out of 20 and, and the next guy on the list after those two guys was Mitch Marner. And I can tell you as a Leafs fan, I can't imagine a scenario where Mitch Marner gets. Yeah, like, so yeah. All, all that work that went into getting him under contract long-term and he's just going to trade him. Like it makes no sense yeah. to me. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, you know, agents are people too, right? They, they know their own guys, but if it's not their guy, they, uh, you know, a lot of times they, they know as much as we do and, they're just throwing names at the board to sort of see what sticks. And, and it's maybe a little bit of wishful thinking because uh, you know, again, if you're not a Sabres fan, a Jack Eichel trade uh, uh, bidding war would be, would be fantastic. It used to be all sorts of fun when we, you know, see, see this stuff happen and, uh, and, you know, guys getting moved and big name, like real big name players getting traded. I've written about this a ton, how it, it used to be a pretty common feature of the NHL and it's not anymore. Um, but that's that's life in the NHL, and I don't think you know if Jack Eichel wanted to change it, he could. I haven't seen any indication other than other people's wishful thinking that he's he's close to doing that. So hopefully that puts some Sabres fans that have heard that and been in existential panic mode since at ease a little bit. Um, but speaking of you know interesting facts that you know are in your writing, um, your book, the Down Goes Brown History of the NHL fascinating read i actually grabbed a copy of it for my brother for christmas because he's real big into that um just your writing style just the interesting maybe untold story and, and the little factoids that you know maybe get overlooked and uh, uh what's the the saying about the the book that you had the world's most beautiful sport the world's most ridiculous league a, yep. a very on yep. point um description a great read i think a lot of our listeners would really enjoy this book um i know i did in the little pieces that i that i read and i know my brother got a huge kick out of it so um we really appreciate you taking the time to to join us although it not being long uh your, your work uh, is definitely appreciated here all right right on that's uh, very nice to hear i'm i'm glad you guys enjoyed the book and uh, it's uh, yep. very very kind of you to say that unbelievable writing thank you again you know just like i can't i piggybacking off what cully said you know unbelievable piece of writing and i would highly suggest it to any of our listeners um you know it's a it's a book i enjoyed uh enjoyed a lot um you know when it comes to hockey uh hockey writing or any anything having to do with hockey like i, I kind of dive really deep into it um latest being clint Malarchuk's book that i've read um but yours was definitely up there for me too so uh Again, Sean, thank you for coming on with us. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Uh, like I said, I know we kind of kept you past a little bit of past your uh, your out your time here, but uh, again, man, we appreciate your your time with us. And uh, you know, uh, take care and stay safe. Right on. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks again. That was Sean McIndoe from the Athletic, folks. We'll be back with more two goalies, one Mike. After this, this podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting. Ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. Will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support, and be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Two Goalies, One Mike. Um, you know, great interview there from, from Sean. You know, his, Dwayne, his writing is, you know, it's not, it's not on, on par. I don't know how to describe it. It's for those that haven't experienced it, his Down Goes Brown um, blog, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like an ironic writing. He, very factual, but in a fun way. He pokes fun at a lot of different things uh, through his writing style. I really enjoy it. Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of humor. And like I said about his book, it, it goes into like, some of these strange stories from, you know, an NHL active NHL player fighting Muhammad Ali back in the day to the, the Richards riots um, to, to the trade between Gretzky and and, uh, to the Kings and all the background there. Um, 
And it's just really, really funny, man. Uh, a really good read. Um, I really recommend, like, I really do recommend it. My brother, uh, who is my hockey hero, um, you know, think of easy buys for your siblings. Like this was not only an easy buy for a Christmas gift. He actually came back to me. There's no better feeling than after you give a gift, like a book or something, than you know, catching up with your brother or your cousin or your, your significant other and them saying, Hey, that was a really awesome gift. And yeah. so I knocked it out of the park with that. So a couple clicks to, to Sean for helping me out there. Um, but really, really interesting. I really recommend, I know I sound like I'm plugging the guy right now, but it really, it is a definitely it's worth a reading. Book. So it was his writing too. Like that Pavel Berry piece, man, the no, way he's able like, to put fun in, in his assessment. Of it. it was so creepy. That whole thing was just like, so well, the icing on the cake was the, oh. when she's like, can you teach me Russian? And, yeah, and oh all the phrases he teaches her to say, I love you. And then I like the best that Sean in his, you know, description of the article, just his, his little one-liner. I think he says, uh, let me read it for everybody. Um, <laughs> I have to, I'm sorry. Uh, um, so, okay. And, uh, uh, I can't find it. Oh, here we go. Uh, we end with Burry unsuccessfully trying to get Rob to profess her love for him and Russian and we're done. Well, not completely done. For some reason, we cut to a clip of Adam Graves scoring against the Islanders in 94. <laughs> the Rangers held on for a five, four win. They're first of the Coliseum in five years. In case you were wondering, Sergei oh. Zubov scored the winner. I don't know if anybody told him they loved him in Russian, but I hope someone did. That's what I mean. Like his writing is just fun. It, it, oh my god, really does a good job of poking fun in that piece. When when it comes to those like really obscure random videos that you find, like you said, he had, he had somebody send that into him. There's one video that not many people know it exists. It's not hockey related. It's actually Bills related. It's with uh, Bruce Smith. It was back. He was on uh, a, a sports talk show on TNT. And it was during the Flutie-Rob uh, Flutie Johnson uh, debate, you know, who should be starting, you know, uh, back and forth between Flutie and Johnson. Um, and, like, you can, like, it starts with Bruce. It's like a close-up on his face, and he's in the middle of a thought, and he just kind of just stops, and he's squinting and just, like, starts smiling. And just, he just kind of awkwardly stops. And, like, so it cuts to uh, the uh, guy from TNT talking, and, you know, he's – goes into this Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie thing. And all of a sudden, if the camera pans back, right? And you just see, you just see, uh, for those watching this, for those, uh, you know, who see it, you see it in Bruce's eyes. And Bruce is a big man, big He's man. a large human being. large human being. And it's in his eyes. And his eyes just start popping out of his head. And he starts falling, walking backwards. And he just falls flat on his back. And that's a lot. It's a big man. Like it's like a big man falling on his back. And this poor, poor newscaster is just standing there, not knowing what to do with their life. God bless him. He just keeps going on with the interview. It's one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen as far as like sports reporting goes, because he was just like, and, and it, the, the best part of this Cully is, you know, in, in the article that, you know, um, or the news report that, that, that this video accompanied the newscaster goes, I guess he was suffering from dehydration. He wasn't suffering. He was absolutely hammered during this interview. There's no other way to explain it. That smile on his face. That guy was cooked. He was cooked. He had so many soda pops probably leading into this. Couple two tree casuals, Dwayne. Oh my God. Yeah. And it didn't know it was about Bruce is um you know the guy like the guy like to drink you know that whole era of bills players they like to party they like to drink and there is no way this guy was just dehydrated he was a he was he just call you gotta watch i'll send it to you, you gotta watch this video about I it definitely will. but hey, you, you brought up a point though that i think it's lost in in the modern day you know professional sports of these guys being incredible athletes now i'm not taking away anything away from previous generations they were exceptional athletes but the way that they took care of their bodies is completely different. And, and oh, to, yeah. to bring it all together, like um, I was fortunate. And I know I bring it up a lot that I played for some former NHLers and, and Bobby Bugner, Doug Gilmore. One of the coolest things that I ever heard from him, Dwayne. Well, and I knew that those guys like to party, right? Yeah. Where like we hear stories that Mario Lemieux, you know, the old Mellon arena in Pittsburgh, he had a, you know, a secret hallway that he could hack darts in between periods. Right. But like all, it was commonplace instead of drinking like a protein shake or a chocolate milk after the game, these guys were crushing a, a 12 pack. Right. Oh yeah. Dougie Gilmore once told us, we're like, 
um, Doug said we had a team party one time and, and we got, you know, we got caught, but like he knew about it and it was the night before a game. He said, listen, I don't care as long as you guys show up ready to, to play. And we were kind of taking him back. Right. And he's like, listen, I played over half my career guilty. And at the time, like it didn't click in my head. Right. What does playing guilty mean? And I, I kind of picked his brain one time on the bus. I'm like, Hey Doug, what did you mean by that playing guilty? He said, Collie, we were playing, you know, in the eighties and the early nineties when, you know, in Canada, when we were rock stars going to different cities. So it didn't matter if we got to a city on like a Tuesday and played on a Wednesday, like it was full send and we went hard. And he's like, if you couldn't keep up, then, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't make it. So these guys were getting crushed on a Tuesday night, you know, sweating it out in the pregame skate, tightening themselves up with coffee and cigarettes, whatever it was, and doing this every goddamn game. And I just thought that was fascinating. You don't see oh, that yeah. a lot in today's age with social media and everything. You don't probably get canned, but the, I think it's a fascinating part of that era of sports. The Michael Jordan flu game. There are a lot of there's a lot of controversy around that. Whether he was really sick, there was a lot. There was a lot of things going around that say that 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 flu was whiskey induced. So, so when they when they played the last dance, which I'm sure every sports fan watched because that was yeah. early on in in the shutdown when we had nothing to do. Yeah. Really um, nice. But I thought at the time, because they made it sound like he was, you know, in his room smoking a cigar with one or two other people. I thought, listen, I don't know if that's true, but this is the perfect way to, you know, put that to rest. Right. Like a little propaganda piece that no, he wasn't drinking or anything. You know, what better way than to just sneak it into your documentary and make it like a sneaky, huge part about, you know, kind of reviving the whole poison by pizza. Maybe it was, uh, you know poisoned by maker's mark you know what i mean <laughs> yeah even the bills super bowl teams there i forget which super bowl it was maybe you remember cully there was a lot of yeah, uh, i remember when i was four years old <laughs> yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean but you know there's stories i was young too i don't remember the fucking super bowl years but um it you know uh there was rumors around that they were they were partying the bills teams were partying they weren't ready to play and like you just hear the story you hear a lot of stories here in buffalo man uh, you know, from our parents and our grandparents that they partied after games down over at um, what's the bar uh, down by the stadium um, with the uh, there's Danny South and then there's the big tree. And I think big tree in. Yeah. The big tree. in. I've personally been to the big tree a few times. I've seen a few of the, uh, you know, the old timers there, Ruben Brown, Thurman, you know, they, they still go there. And I, I hear, I've, I've heard the stories, man, that they, they they burned the candle at both ends, man. They did not care. And, you know, they made four Super Bowls in a row, but there was that one running rumor that he uh that that they did um they did do it once during Super Bowl week and it might have cost them. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting to look back and and I know a lot of those, you know, guys in the old NFL, they would use that lead up because that you have two weeks, right? When you get to the Super Bowl, you have a week of media leading up to it where you know back in the day they just get crushed. Like there's an interesting 30 for 30 about um the Chicago Bears Super Bowl team. Um and you know, who was their quarterback? Uh McMahon. Yeah. Um yeah. And, and how you know, they went out and some guys got in trouble, but they stuck together. It was just a different era. And I think it can be appreciated now. Which, which, which Super Bowl team are you talking about? The most recent one that went to the yeah, Super Bowl? The Bears. Not, not, yeah, the Bears, the one with, um, the one where they had Ditka as their coach and then the other okay, guy. I'm um, thinking of a different one because there was the, the, the last Bears team to go to a Super Bowl. I forget this, the no, quarterback. This name. Was the one before that. This was, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. late 80s, early 90s. Um, it was just, you know, fascinating look into, you know, how they went heavy and hard, uh, that first week. And then that second week is kind of tightened it up. Um, but no, I think it's interesting, man, that whole thing. And that's what I mean. Like that book by, uh, by Sean, like just interesting factoids about the NHL. Um, and, and it, and it can be said for any sport, but like, I, I don't know, I'm a big fan of stuff like that, you know, getting inside access into stuff that's not talked about, uh, really, really fun stuff to, 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 to you know, kind of delve into, right. It, it just kind of gets your, 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 your sports fandom motor running. Right. And um, I don't know if, if being hungover is to blame for the, the Bills Super Bowl losses, but fuck, I mean, you couldn't just, you know, get off the, get off the wagon for, for a week to bring home a Super Bowl. I, I think it's funny. Anytime like the Bills are doing well or the Sabres, you know, talk about winning that I, I saw a funny tweet and it, it relates to a serious matter, you know, rest in peace to Josh Allen's grandma, but the way that the, you know, the Bills Mafia rallied around and started donating oh, money oh, and $17 increments. What's that? 
over $500,000. It's, it's, it's awesome. And that's special to Buffalo. But I, I read another like a, a comment in that. And it's that if, if the Sabres or the, the bill or the Sabres ever won the Stanley Cup or the Bills ever won a Super Bowl, the city of Buffalo would cure cancer and the world. Oh hunger. my God. I, I, forget, I, you know, I know what tweet you're talking about. It was, uh, oh, um, I mean, it doesn't matter who, but it was just hey, funny. Yeah, I, 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 know, I, I thought too. Like, oh, you, the thing is you're right, man. Like, <laughs> like, like, like <laughs> I'm it, thinking it, that far. I don't think we'd end world hunger, but yeah. it really, Oh my God. The, you know, what would happen because what a diehard sports town we live in. And, um, you know, like growing up into that, even though I like to say I was born into the bills losing four Super Bowls, Uh, and then, you know, we had the drought and, and, you know, but we did have a taste of the Sabres being good. And although you would think from the way that we talk back on those memories that like other fandoms, other cities would have talked about like their Stanley cup runs. Like we have a very passionate fan base, one that I'm lucky to be a part of one that I appreciate the history here. And I think the history just will make that first win that much more special. And I really hope it is within, um, you know, the next 10 years, because you have, whole generation of our parents and, and their parents maybe that you know were with the bills back in the afl days that how special that would be to see before they get too old you know i think that'd be cool so absolutely uh, speaking of which though the uh the sabers along with the rest of the league announced their retro reverse retro jerseys um i think they got a lot of buffalo saber fans horny on twitter with the release of the little goat head shoulder patch yep. that maybe that would be the main logo it wasn't. It's the crossing butter knife swords, which I think is a classic look. I like uh, some people don't like the Buffalo text on the bottom, but I think, hey, that's what it is. It's a reverse ret- retro jersey. Um, you look at some of the jerseys. I think they they knocked it. You know what? It goes to like what they had to work with. Some of these teams, like you look at Detroit, they have the worst jersey in there by far. They have oh, had the God, same color scheme forever and the same logo forever. You really can't reverse re- retro that. So no. their jersey looks like a practice jersey. But then you look at, like, I thought Minnesota, I would have loved to see a North Stars one, but I love their color scheme, right? Um, my favorite one is the LA Kings because – was You literally just took it out of my mouth. The Kings jersey oh, is so beautiful. I absolutely love that They're look. Whenever I play NHL, jersey. Dwayne, whenever I play NHL, I always choose that jersey when I'm the Kings. It's just – it's filthy. The purple and yellow is such a good look. It is. And here's the thing, Cully, is, is, um, you know, you know, for those who are upset that it's not the goat head, me being kind, I'm kind of, I'm not, I'm not upset. Um, I'm happy. I, I like that old, I have that, that red third alternate Jersey back from the, where they wore it. You know, there's a big infamous picture of Miller and Briere, uh, um, in front of the arena, you know, in those jerseys uh, that you know gets shared quite often, and especially right now. Yeah, I know Ryan Miller, Miller just, just posted it a couple hours ago. Yeah, yeah, that. Miller just yeah, Miller just posted it, and I I referred to him as I, I refer I I, I I quote tweeted and said the Lord has spoken hashtag goalie Jesus. Yeah, I like that. That was a good he, had, he had unbelievable flow back then. Um, but you know what? Um, he, here here's the thing, Sabres fans is from a marketing standpoint, it wouldn't make sense. You know, it, you know, because at the end of the day, this is a business, and I hate to be the one to say this because I, you know everybody knows my history with this organization. Is it wouldn't make sense for the team, from a marketing standpoint, to release both royal blue and bring back the goat head all in one year? Because at the end of the day, yeah, you want you hope it's because you want to make fans happy. You know, I am again, I'm indifferent with that thought because at the end of the day, you know, hashtag you know fund the super yacht. Uh, they want to make money and it wouldn't make sense to bring back the goat header right now when you're about to get ready to make so much money on Royal blue and so much money now on this, th- on this reverse retro Jersey. It's just facts. Like, you know, Sabres fans are going to empty their pockets for these jerseys. And you know what, maybe next year or two years from now, you will get, I, 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 I write it down. You will get, you will get a goat head Jersey. I thought that the only way the goat head would look good coming back and listen, to be completely honest, I wasn't even a big goat head fan and I've kept that to myself, but I just, me associating my memory with that. Like, I don't know. I just always fell in love with the old school, classic Royal and gold, but listen, um, it's kind of growing on me seeing, I just, I never knew how much fans loved it and how much it meant to them. And, and like, I get it. And hearing you talk about it, how much it means to you, it's kind of brought me on board. But when I saw the mock-up of the, the Royal and gold goat's head, I thought that looked fucking pretty good too. 
It, it doesn't look bad at all. You know, it, it really depends. Personally, for me, I wouldn't hate it if they if they did it that way, you know, with the royal blue and gold goat head jersey. But personally, if you're going to ask me and the, the, the times I had, the most fun I had watching hockey was during those jerseys, the black and red well, goat head. Look behind you. Look behind yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, look behind me. That um, down, I, know, I, I apologize for all the glare of the sun. I forgot to, you know, do the lines here. But uh, it's, you know, it, the, that's when I had the most fun watching this team. That's when I fell in love with this team. And, you know, it wasn't just Hashik. It was Brad May, Bobby Boopner, Rob Ray, uh, you know, <laughs> even Alexi Zitnik, um, you know, all these, all these players that used to bang, you know, the 96, 97 hardest working team in hockey, show up to the Marine Midland Arena with your hard hats on. We had so much fun, Sabres carnival, so much map, so many great memories with that Jersey and just the nostalgia that, that comes back with it. You know, if they, it, honest to God, and again, this is me being marketing director of the Sabres. You know, when I bring back that Jersey, I don't fucking tell a soul. You keep that as under wraps as you can. And you go with the old nineties wrestling shock and awe. You just bring it out, roll it out, opening night one season, and you just watch this city lose its goddamn mind. Because they will. They will lose their mind. And you will see NHLshop.com shut down one night for the amount of fans that are going to log on to buy that jersey online. It's going to be insanity. It will. It will be absolute insanity. And that just goes to speak to, you know, the fan experience. You know, it's not just putting the, the product on the ice. I've spoken on this a million times. It's just giving the fans what they want also off the ice, you know, whether it's game presentation, it's the jerseys, you know, it's Sabres tooth fucking risking his life coming down from the rafters onto a ATV and driving that around the ice, you know, through a ring of fire. However the hell you want to do it. Just, you know, you know, we, the Sabres themselves should not be far behind teams like, Columbus and Nashville and stuff like that, you know, non-traditional hockey markets that, you know, that, you know, honestly, if their team teams were in the same position that our team is, you know, the game experience probably wouldn't be like that. And that's, you know, it doesn't matter if our team sucks or we're good. We're always going to show out, you know, when it comes to hockey, whether it's watching the Sabres or watching the NHL playoffs and the Sabres aren't involved for a decade, we show out because we love hockey. And I, that, that's what I hope, you know, comes, you know, it starts to build from these things. You see this fans start getting involved again from a social media point, And we start, you know, we really start going hard on these jerseys. I, I really do hope that who's ever put in charge of this um, going forward, just really sees how important it is not just to have an on, an on ice product, which that's the most important part, but just to really give fans a good off ice experience. Yeah. And you said it well, um, it, it's, it's going to be fun to, you know, speculate over the next little bit about all things Sabres between lineups and when the league starts. Um, and, uh, you know what, I, I really, really hope that they can, you know, dot their I's and cross their T's with this one, because it'll mean so much to have this season back. Um, that'll do it for, for this week's episode of two goalies, one Mike. I uh, really hope you enjoyed the, the Sean McIndoe interview. Um, you know, real smart guy, real articulate, knows his stuff. And, and like I said, check out his book. Uh, we will have another great episode next week. Going to keep that under wraps for now, Dwayne, but uh, you've been pulling in some great guests. Um, yep. But uh, really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in for this week's episode and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yep, guys. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop. Created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gritsky. Mitts is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets Mitts apart from the evil chain super-duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Cheektowaga. When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old. The golden era of what a barbershop meant, not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal, come on down to Mitts to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitts Barbershop. And when you mention that two goalies and one Mike sent you in, 
receive $5 off your haircut that day. Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheektowaga, it is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868-1424, and their hours are Monday, 12 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Saturday, they're open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers. Tired of the cookie cutter salons trying to get your attention? Also tired of those men-focused salons? Then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better? Then Mitt's is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitts back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitts for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show. And we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mitts just so special. Thanks again to Justin and all the hard work him and his staff do. And without further ado, we'll kick it back to Two Goalies, One Mike. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.